This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, the Zoom where it happened on a massive call over the weekend. About a hundred of America's CEOs discussed Georgia's voting law, speaking up to political power, and what's next. The man who organized the call, Yale's Jeff Sonnenfeld. The CEOs aren't doing this for grandiosity. That you're right. They hate playing politicians. They don't want to get involved. There's no middle ground anymore. Their silence means acquiescence. It means agreement, and they don't want that. And planning for a vaccinated future navigating shot verifications and possibly fraud with Dr. Scott Gottlieb. We've got these cards that people received when they got vaccinated. That's not going to be good enough. Those are available on eBay right now. People aren't going to accept the cards as proof of vaccination. Those stories, Microsoft's big deal, the Fed chair's mainstream moment on 60 Minutes, records at the Masters, and all the rest of the news you can use no matter your generation. See, I can predate you on anything you talk. Did you see the moon landing? Only on tape. It's Monday, April 12th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Sorkin along with Joe Kern. Becky's off today. What is the state of speech recognition? Siri is not state of, maybe it's me. Maybe it's me. That's, maybe it's me. You know what I mean? Maybe maybe I mumble, but she comes. She does not recognize. No, no, what no. I, this is a well. You're about to talk about the huge deal. Tell everybody about what we're going to talk about, and then we can we can we can dig into it and we can enunciate I, and, and articulate our words. I think it's me. Maybe it is. If it's not me, then, then Siri has uh, serious problems when I dictate things because she comes up with stuff that uh, no one would say. No one would ever say these things. And the most obvious thing that I'm it seems obvious to me. I think I mumble. I think you know these people on Twitter are right. I mumble. I'm a mumbler. Uh, let's start with the, the deal news. Sources telling CNBC Microsoft's in advanced talks to buy speech recognition company Nuance Communications. The deal could be announced uh, as early as today. Microsoft said to be willing to pay about $56 a share for Nuance. That would be a 23% premium to Friday's closing price and the uh, value of the deal at about $16 billion. It would be the second uh, biggest purchase ever behind the $27 billion a dollar acquisition of LinkedIn uh, back in 2016. How was that, Andrew? Did you did it? Did I? Did I, I understood every words? word you said. I don't know if I don't know if Siri would have picked it up. No, but no, I can she tell wouldn't. You have, but I can tell you that nuance would have because they were the originators of this entire space. They actually helped effectively create what is this what what you think of as Siri today. Uh, nuance was related to that back in the day. Their dragon service is off the charts. If you actually care about true dictation, um, especially in industries like medical dictation, where some of the words are even more complicated than words we would use, right. it picks it up. It's unbelievable. Many years ago, Joe, I had carpal tunnel in my, in my hands because I was writing too much. And I was forced for about six weeks to use this dragon software the Nuance made. This is probably now 10 or 15 years ago. And even back then... It was pretty extraordinary. It wasn't just about the dictation. You could actually tell it where to put the mouse and what to click on on the screen. I mean, everything. Were so you, this is uh, a huge thing. What were you using? It, you didn't, do you have a bad typing uh, technique or were you using a BlackBerry or how did you get carpal tunnel? You shouldn't get carpal tunnel if, if you're resting your hands properly or, or whatever. I was not resting my hands properly was, was the point. Uh, back in the day, two things. There used to be something called an ATEX system. Uh, for those of us in the newspaper business who, wanna, who really want to age yourself, then it was a keyboard and you really had to you know, really jam on the keys. And then the other thing was I would also often, I did have a laptop and I'd, 
at home, I'd lie down. You should never do this. I'd lie on the couch, but I'd lie all the, and I'd keep my hands up like this, type like this. And it really, it can, it can do a number on your, um, well, you don't go back the to the, the IBM Selectric typewriter. Do you? I go back to that. No, 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 it, no, no. It, well, at FNN, that's what we used. And we had, back then, you had to do a six, there are carbon, six carbon sheets. You'd t- type out the script, rip them all off, bring one to Bill Griffith or Ron and Sana, get the other one into the booth, the other one here. Right. But every time you made a mistake, you could backspace it, and, and the selector can't, I think. But it wouldn't do it on, on the, on the car. So I go back. I didn't have carpal tunnel syndrome. I just had stuff that looked like there were no words. They were just all um, that was a while. See, I can predate you on anything you talk. You, did you see the moon landing live? I have Did you? You didn't. Only, but, only you, on tape. Not a big deal, though. We landed on the moon, but seeing that was not a big deal uh, for you. Let's, let's move on here. Your carpal tunnel's gone. It's fixed. It's done. You're for good. For the most part, yes. Occasionally, I feel I don't use a mouse anymore. You don't use a mouse. That causes no something? Mouse. That causes something, or you just uh, for, no? For me, it does. I use um, I just like a trackpad. Why a does track that pad is better for me, and thing. I don't, and I can't hit, and I can't do the click. So <laughs> I have, I have all my trackpads set. So it's just, I just touch it. Um, otherwise, really? I start to feel it in in my uh, index and middle fingers. I think this on the right hand side. I think this might be up here, Sorkin. I'm not sure. Is there a way to capture what I think is going to be the interest, though, J- Joe, in the in golf during the Olympics this summer in Japan? Okay, here's here's a prediction I heard yesterday. Yeah. Who's who's going to light who's going to light the the torch? Who's going to light the, the thing? Guaranteed, Hideki. Hideki will light the. He, he's got it. He's got it. He will be worth a billion dollars in in Japan. Yesterday watching the match, you probably didn't see a lot of it, but I did. Kept, no, no, I did. You, you did? It's great. They, I they did. kept switching to the coverage uh, in Japan, and in fact, I think Tommy Nakajima, who used to play on the tour, uh, was the color commentator. I couldn't understand what they were saying, but they got, you know, on on number fifteen. I mean, Hideki is he's powerful, but on fifteen, he hit it a little too low. Did you see it go flying in? That's the hardest shot. And, and he was, that was his second shot. But the third shot for me, when I have, I have played, hardest shot in golf. The green's about this wide, uh, this deep, and you're downhill, and it bounded it. But did you see how he just totally was calm and didn't try to get it up onto the green, got close, and then still got a bogey, and everything was fine. Poor, poor Xander. Poor Xander had four straight birdies and then got to 16. And afterwards, he said he flushed his, uh, his tee shot on 16, but it still found the water. Um, and that gave Hideki some breathing room to where he was able to have a couple of bogeys and, and still win by a stroke. Right. But this is major. This is big, big, big. And you know what? He's a man for the moment, Andrew. I mean, not for nothing, but great moment for, for this to happen. And, and he was the, you know. He was the man well, to do it, and he, he deserved figure it. Figure out he, how to put him on the squawk stack this morning. Yeah, I don't know how we do that. He used to have a pause at the top that I used to watch, and I'm so fast, that, and he's, he's, he's worked on that. He's still pretty slow at the Who top. But. So you could, you could put Toyota on there because he's got the big Lexus logo. That's one of his big sponsors. I don't know who else. That was the one that I noticed. Who else is on his, uh, his sponsor list? I didn't, so he was going to be a beneficiary today. Yeah. But, yeah, that was, a, uh, was awesome. I don't, you know, you could have made some serious money if you picked Hideki on, uh, 
on right. Thursday before the tournament started. I had Spieth. I had Spieth. I had Spieth. He's third. He's a grinder, isn't he? The other thing that happened over the weekend, which is uh, Fed Chairman Jay Powell uh, saying it is, quote, highly unlikely that the central bank is going to be raising rates this year despite a stronger economy. Powell appeared on 60 Minutes last night. This is what he had to say. Well, I'd say that we and and a lot of private sector forecasters see strong growth and strong job creation starting right now. So really, the, the outlook has brightened substantially. It seems like you're not expecting a recovery. You're expecting a boom. Well, I would say that this growth that we're expecting in the second half of this year is going to be very strong. Here's what he said about a digital dollar. You've seen many other countries like ours, well-off countries like ours, that are looking at it seriously. In some of those countries, the use of cash has declined precipitously. That is not the case here. Americans still like to use cash. So it's, it's something that will be decided based on the situation here in the United States. Joe, I didn't understand that answer. I don't either. I mean, you I understood the cash. answer. But you use a lot of cash, that, Andrew? I use next to no cash, but that's, not, that's nor here nor there. What I didn't understand was that as right. a, I don't know if it was an excuse a or a rationale for not embracing either a digital dollar or digital money or crypto or what, whatever. That I could have come up with a hundred reasons why if you didn't want to get involved with crypto right. or That's Bitcoin or this or that, but but that would have not been on my list. The the comments that he and uh, Secretary Yellen made in in the last couple of weeks, I don't know when it was. I don't know. I didn't really understand those either, Andrew. I don't think there's a lot of you know. We think these people know everything because they must, because they're in these positions. How much do they really know about Bitcoin? You think they've read any? Have they really looked? I don't know. I, don't, I, I, I give them the benefit I, of the doubt. Know. Give them the benefit of the know. doubt. But from their comments, they don't seem like they may be that up to speed on, on things. I think I'm worried. Maybe. I'm worried Maybe the not. rest of the world could, could get ahead of us on that. And, and when right. Peter uh, Thiel said that, you know, that China could use it as a weapon to debase the dollar. I'm just worried about them technologically getting ahead of us right. in what becomes maybe uh, the, the system that, that people use more than just undermining. We're, we're, you know, we're undermining the dollar pretty well ourselves. I think right. that guy that we were just By the way, that would have been that would have been a, a, a very good answer or even a, a unique or interesting answer uh, had Powell right. given it, meaning given Peter Thiel's answer or whatnot. Let's uh, talk time off. Companies are adding incentives now to encourage workers to use their vacation. PwC offering employees $250 for every full week of vacation they book, up to $1,000 a year. The plan could cost the firm millions, but PwC tells the Wall Street Journal it's exhausted other attempts to get people to disconnect from the office. Joe, I, I hope our minders are watching this because I'd like <laughs> to be paid to, to take some time off. The issue, though, um, and I hate to be cynical about it, um, a lot of companies are attempting to push people to take time off. It's not just that they want their employees to disconnect because they're going to feel better and do better work and be more efficient all that later. It's that there, there are some legal issues around whether vacation time actually should be considered comp and whether companies will have to comp people who don't take that vacation time for that time. And so $250 a week may actually prove to be a much cheaper way, this is why I said cynical, to get yeah. people to take vacation than to actually pay them for the time that they're working. Well, we're in some unique times in terms of vacations right now. And both of us have, you know, I've canceled, I don't know how, how many vacations in the last year. Yes. We've canceled many vacations. And as we're long, owed lots it, of know, vacation time, Joe. And, and for us, 
like, we're so essential. I mean, for us to be able to get a week off is so, I mean, you'd think, I mean, we've, well, sometimes we try. And it, it, I, I guess I feel good about it because it really is hard to get time off. Then you throw in the kids and, and uh, varying uh, right. what times that they have off and other stuff that they're doing. And it, it's got to be a perfect storm to get a week where you can get it off and all the kids can go and you can get the accommodations and, and there's no quarantining yep. coming back. And it's just been a lot of concerns. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a benefit, a huge benefit. And if you did put it in dollar terms, I think it would scare companies. On, you know, that's why they do want people to right. take those because it would be a big liability, uh, I think. That's, and that's the issue. And that's right. the issue. So hopefully I, we're, we're going to take I hope we're going to take a lot of time off maybe this summer. What do you think, Joe? I've got some plans. I've got some plans. But you know what they say about the best laid plans. Uh, You never know. (laughs) Next on Squawk Pod, imagine a 100 person Zoom. Now imagine a Zoom with 100 CEOs discussing access to voting. Management expert Jeff Sonnenfeld helped organize one. And he learned that America's leaders will not stay silent. You talk about taxation with representation. They don't mind taking the business leader's money, but they don't want their voice. These business leaders that were there, but they don't like being told to give us your money and shut up. You're listening to Squawk Pod. And welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan, along with uh, Andrew Ross Sorkin. Becky's off today. Becky's doing her, her civic duty, taking some time off, which we now know is, uh, is actually being you know, promoted some places. You can actually get, uh, get paid for it. I don't think we're going to get paid here for that, uh, Andrew, from what I can tell from the, the, the initial response. But that's okay. Just getting the time off uh, would be good, I think, right? It's Monday. You know, blah, Monday. And we uh, should say we do get paid. We get paid off vacation, which is yes. very different. We don't than get a lot paid to take who are it contract though. workers or right. freelance workers who don't get paid at all. When they t- when they take vacation, it's it's on them and it costs. But them. they can so, take uh, it whenever they want, though, too. Right. They, that, they could get that's they the, could get the benefit weeks. there, too. Right. So, right. uh, I'm, no, I'm say, not complaining. I just it's been tough with COVID. It's been tough. It's been tough to arrange that, vacations, fly. That, you know, that is true. But there's a, there's a lot of folks out there who, uh, who who'd be dying, frankly, to have a job right now. We got some other news to tell tell our viewers about because so much happened over the weekend. Um, one of the other things that happened was a group of CEOs and other top executives met on a Zoom over the weekend to brainstorm what they want to do next about voting laws in Georgia and others underway in Texas and now other states. Former American Express CEO Ken Chenault, Merck CEO Ken Frazier addressed the group, urging business leaders across the country to call for greater voting access. And Yale's Jeff Sonnenfeld helped organize that gathering. He's going to join us to tell us what took place and talk about what happens next. But lots of CEOs uh, taking, taking their Saturday off uh, to work on this uh, very important issue that a lot of folks uh, and are, are talking about, debating. Uh, controversial, but uh, nonetheless, uh, we will discuss that with Jeff in the Senate. Yeah, I don't know what uh, $13 million a year equates to as far as a uh, hourly wage, but I, I don't know. I could sit, I joined that Zoom meeting for a couple of hours for, you know, $8,000 an hour or whatever, more than that. I'm not sure they're being paid for that, Joe. This, no, I in think general, this was their CEO, time. I'm not. They didn't clock in for that, but that's what a CEO makes. So, I, you know, anything that they ask me to do, I'm I'm willing to do it for 13 million a year. Um, the White they, House, they're holding, the boss. They don't have to do this, though. 
They don't have to do it, but if you're a CEO, you might, uh, you know, I, I do whatever it, whatever's involved. Sign me up. I'm good for it. I'll come in on Sundays. Joining us right now is one of the people who organized that call, Jeff Sonnenfeld, Senior Associate Dean for Leadership Studies at Yale Schools of Management and a CNBC contributor. Jeff, it's great to see you, uh, uh, and I appreciate you taking on uh, this important issue. But I'm hoping you can talk to the viewers this morning, especially uh, those CEOs who were not, for example, uh, on your call, and and get at this issue of, I know you believe there's a nonpartisan issue, but part of this discussion, frankly, is about the 43 states that are pursuing laws, virtually all, when I say virtually, I should say all by Republicans. And I think that for, for a lot of viewers, especially who are Republicans, um, they have concerns about this being a partisan issue. It's uh, well, it's not a partisan issue. Uh, it's an issue of of of, of de- democracy uh, is is not a, a left or right or Democrat or Republican issue uh, in, in democracy versus denial of voice. And that's what the CEOs are telling us. The morning consult data, which we had originally uh, commissioned for this, that was uh, overnight callings uh, from around the country, uh, interviews, showed overwhelming majorities of Republicans concerned about denial of voter access in this legislation, as well as Democrats. And Andrew, I'm sorry to say that the Brennan Center for Justice, who was at our event, uh, Michael Waldman, the head of it, uh, pointed out that it's actually up to 47 states with 331 initiatives. And overwhelmingly, our CEOs, as well as the American public, reads these voter restrictions as, as, as voter suppression. And so what do you believe the role of business should be in this context? Because as you know, and we've talked about it for many years, business was, tried to stay out of uh, all of these types of issues. You had Mitch McConnell effectively say to the CEO community, stay out of this. Yeah, and this is a, a strong bark back from the business community. Uh, you talk about taxation with representation. They don't, like take, they don't mind taking the business leader's money, but they don't want their voice. Uh, these people uh, are, are saying quite strongly uh, this is a, a defiance of that statement, a collective defiance. They don't all agree with each other, by the way. As you know, the group was 65, 70 percent Republican, these business leaders that were there. But they don't like being told to give us your money and shut up. Uh, they, they have voice and it matters. And the American public wants to hear it. As we know, if you take out the military, which is not allowed to speak, tragically, tragically, it's not your line of work or my line of work, academia or media or certainly not elected officials at state or local levels or federal levels, or, or the clergy that are the most trusted pillars of American society. Right now, it's business leaders. It wasn't two, in 2007, sadly, as we know, but it is now. And they're, they're stepping up to the plate. They hear that. And speaking up to the plate, we're, we're taking a look, of course, even at the major league teams. We talked about that. We had Arthur Blank with us there uh, as co-founder of the Home Depot, talking about how the NFL has been watching what Major League Baseball is doing, right. trying to understand what players tell them. Uh, what, where they don't feel comfortable, that has a loud ripple effect. So these CEOs are talking about a whole host of options. Some are interested in the federal legislation to have blue states and red states held to the same, the same uh, playing field, the same, the same ground rules. Others are talking about where they put their right. money, not it has to do with uh, Jeff, cutting. How skeptical, though, should viewers and the public be about the role of business in this? And I ask for the following reason. It's one thing to put your name next to a statement. Right. And, and there's a lot of people who've been willing to, to, to sign lots of statements. 
It's another thing to, to actually do something uh, with your operations and with your money. And there were a number of companies after the insurrection um, that took place on January 6th who said they were not going to continue funding through PACs and otherwise uh, some of the politicians who were involved with supporting uh, what has now been called the big lie. And yet some of those same companies have since gone back on that promise and have continued uh, to support with their money uh, some of those same politicians. You're already seeing it. We had, uh, you know, after after the murder of Khashoggi, you had a group of CEOs say, well, we're not going to go to Saudi Arabia. Two years later, we're going to go to Saudi Arabia. So how much does it really matter? You initiated that blowback, that, that backlash against the Davos in the desert. Andrew, you deserve a lot of credit for that. And the backsliding, I think, was disappointing in that matter. In this matter, I've looked pretty closely at it. It, it, the, the CEOs who were coming to our early crisis calls, our, our pop-up conferences, if you, if you will, were 40, 40 at a time, were the major CEOs. They were saying universally, in fact, unanimously, they were going to curtail their, their their spending and campaign spending. But they were self-selected group. You take a look at the conference board uh, surveys of the larger group, it was half. And that's still the right number, half of them still holding up. And in terms of people looking at the actual payment, it's time lag data. They haven't seen what's going to be spent for 2022. They're still looking at the old data. So I think a, a fair number of that will hold. If you look at the surveys now, it's still 70. You know, it's, it's only fallen by about maybe not even a quarter that are still holding their ground on curtailing their payments. And we're seeing actual companies that have have put on hold large investments of moving plant equipment and personnel into some of these states in question where their employees don't feel comfortable. They, this has already happened. You also see people like uh, Brad Karp, at the name and name, the managing partner of Paul Weiss, bonding together 60 of the nation's top 100 law firms. And I think you'll have most, you'll have all top 100 probably soon. But what it, we're ready right now today to dispatch SWAT teams to go to these 47 states with election law experts to help battle back any of these restrictions. It, it's the CEOs aren't doing this for grandiosity. That you're right. They hate playing politicians. They don't want to get involved. There's no middle ground anymore. Their silence means acquiescence. It means agreement. And they don't want that. So what they what they want to do is they want a harmonious society. They don't like politicians using these wedge issues for self-gain. They want people to not have finger pointing workforces. They don't want angry communities. They don't want hostile shareholders. Is that's right. this is a win win. But but Jeff, the complicated part is the same politicians who are pushing some of these laws, which you're saying they're objecting to are the same politicians who are also going to fight I imagine, on behalf of corporations when it comes to lower taxes, for example. Uh, these CEOs, as you're hearing them more and more, say they'll pay a couple of dollars more on taxes. That, 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 they, we're seeing the, the business community is asserting themselves with a certain kind of gangly adolescence, a redefining of their identity, that they're not going to be defined by any business, any, any political party. Uh, a couple of dollars on taxes, they don't. They, these people are are not xenophobes. They're not anti-immigration. They've had to fight the Republican Party on H-1B visa issues and had to threaten to open up satellite facilities, as you know, in, in uh, Vancouver and Toronto to go in the White House and tell them so last summer if they don't get and uh, open up and have free the free flow of top talent into the country. They felt the same way on on gun safety. Several hundred companies bypassed the political process to cut ties with the NRA. Uh, whether or not it was on these these ridiculous bathroom bills, these were hallmark bed, bedrock companies from AT and T, Walmart, uh, uh, UPS. It wasn't just sort of the quote unquote progressive companies, whether it was Nike or Patagonia, which are fine companies, Starbucks, uh, uh, and Apple. It was uh, all these other companies too. It's gotten to the point. It's sort of like where uh, 
uh, you wouldn't remember this. In 1973, when Johnny Carson said it was time for Nixon to step down, the country moved. It was. This is coming from the center of the company. These are not radical fringe people. These are very centrist, very serious business players saying it's time to stop the nonsense. We don't want to. We don't want divided nation. We don't want divided communities. We don't want angry workforces. Let's get back to business. And that's that's what they want to do here. And they're serious about it. No, they're cutting their own path. Sure, they don't like some things Democrats do. But they're certainly not going to be defined by the the Republicans either. And a couple more on dollars. There's not. They're not protectionist. They're not isolated. Jeffrey, they're not xenophobes. We appreciate it very, very much. It's great to see you. um, And uh, we do hope to have you back to continue this conversation because it's an issue that isn't going away. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Next on Squawk Pod, Dr. Scott Gottlieb on the light and life at the end of this pandemic tunnel. I'm hopeful by May this won't be the dominant news story. The only question is I don't know what's going to displace it, but I think that things are going to get better very quickly around the country. We'll be right back. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Joe Curtin. A new study out of Israel says the South African variant of the coronavirus may be able to evade some protection of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. While it has yet to be peer-reviewed, researchers at the largest healthcare organization in Israel found data that suggests that the variant is able, in certain instances, to break through the protection of the vaccine more so than the original strain of COVID. Joining us now, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, former FDA commissioner and a CNBC contributor. He also serves on the boards of uh, Pfizer and Illumina. Also, his latest op-ed in the Wall Street Journal uh, makes the case for uh, so-called vaccine passports, which you've made the case for uh, on this show before as, as more, maybe not necessarily as preventing people from doing things, but enabling people in a fast lane type uh, situation to go visit someone in a hospital or a nursing home or something like that. That's right. I mean, the challenge with the, the question around these so-called vaccine passports is that people right now don't own the information verifying that they've been vaccinated. They don't have a digitally um, verifiable, cryptographically signed uh, application or even document, even a QR code that can demonstrate that they've been vaccinated. We've got these cards that people received when they got vaccinated that's not going to be good enough. Those are available on eBay right now. You can get those cards. So people aren't going to accept the cards as proof of vaccination. What happened when this system was set up was that the federal government was scrambling for a way to keep track of who was getting vaccinated. So they required the states to report the information to these 64 jurisdictions that exist in the country, basically to track pediatric vaccinations. So when states vaccinate a child, that information has to be reported to one of these 64 jurisdictions. Most of them fall around states, but some states have two, like Texas, and some cities of their own jurisdiction, like New York. The system was set up so that pediatricians can query these jurisdictions to find out if a child has already received their vaccination schedule. All the information about COVID vaccinations was put, put in the same system. The problem with the system is it was never designed really to be accessible to consumers. So consumers really have no way right now to get the information to prove they've been vaccinated. And there are going to be circumstances that exist in the future that are going to require us to prove we've been vaccinated. I believe that as the epidemic gets worse next winter, right now this winter, nursing homes ban visitors, hospitals ban visitors. You could see a situation where those institutions might allow people to visit if they can demonstrate they've been vaccinated, but it's going to be hard to demonstrate that proof. So I think that the applications that we're talking about, and it may be something as simple as allowing Apple Health Vault to pull down this information from these 
these 64 jurisdictions, that's going to be necessary in certain limited circumstances next year. So I think people need to think about this differently. Right now, as consumers, we don't own this information, and we should. Right. And we have the technology. It, it wouldn't be that difficult either, right, doctor? That's right. And states, some states need to pass separate legislation to allow this information to be accessible. So states are going to have to make a decision to do that. We see some states potentially passing legislation to prevent this information from being accessible because the whole discussion around vaccine passports has gotten swept up in a lot of concerns around whether or not it's going to be used to limit people's access to things that they would otherwise do. I think the use case for this information is likely to be enabling access to things that are otherwise going to be restricted, right. like the nursing home example. So, you know, we need to think differently about this. I think consumers should be empowered with this information. How they choose to use it is up to them. So the, you're probably not totally shocked that, that some of these variants, I think we already had an idea that the vaccine wasn't as effective. Should we assume that the Moderna vaccine, which is so similar, it's a different epitope, but uh, you think the South African vaccine can, or uh, variant can get around that one as well? Well, we, I think we should assume that the mRNA vaccines behave in a similar fashion. They so far have from the clinical research that we've seen. This study that you're talking about involved the Pfizer vaccine. I'm on the board of Pfizer, of course, and it was real-world evidence derived from Israel. But the study didn't say, I think, what, it's, what some people are interpreting. What happened was they looked at people who had been vaccinated and who had become subsequently infected. And it was a small data set. I believe it was only eight patients who had the 1351 variant. But what they found was compared to some controls or, or some matched controls, a higher proportion of people who had been vaccinated who subsequently got infected got infected with the 1351 variant. Um, it didn't look like they, it didn't appear they got very sick in the study. They just got infected with that variant. So right. I think it's intuitive that if someone who's vaccinated is going to get infected, it's more likely to be with one of the variants. That's the best you can conclude here. Also, one other key point which was left out of the analysis is that everyone who got the 1351 variant who had been vaccinated got the variant before they were fully vaccinated. So it, the infection had occurred before 14 yeah. days after their second injection. Nobody got insane. infected with 131 after 14 days. Do you think there'll be a day when I'm not saying we'll have the latest COVID headlines? I'm sick of, I, I mean, it's, it's very sad and frustrating. Will there, will there be a day where there aren't the latest COVID headlines, doctor, or not? I'm hopeful by May this won't be the dominant news story. The only question is I don't know what's going to displace it. But I think that right. things are going to get well, we'll better find very quickly around the country. We'll find something. Um, maybe it'll be, maybe <laughs> it'll be you know, the Masters winner or something that we like to talk about. Thanks, uh, doctor. We got the charging stations in the infrastructure plan. But I didn't, I didn't, Andrew, did, you didn't see Waffle House anywhere on that. Did you think Biden, the administration, has heard my idea? I mean, it takes, it takes about 35 minutes to charge the car. What are you going to do for that 35 minutes? Or, or IHOP? What do you, don't you see that? Do you see what I'm saying? Do you not see I, the synergies there? A nice waffle would be helpful. I don't disagree. I think. What um, do you do for the know, 35 minutes? You don't want to walk around like a, a, a 7-Eleven looking at those crummy old hot dogs or something. I mean, I, I, Chipotle, you know, we've talked about how much Chipotle we both love a burrito. Chipotle takes about 35 minutes these days. It's they're so popular to try and uh, it, and I and I'm a believer in Chipotle. That's a good idea. Okay. I don't know. It seems, you know, that, that's the kind of infrastructure I can get behind Sorkin. Little Chipotle or Taco Bell, a little faster over oh, there. Oh, oh, be still, right. my beating now, heart. I, I, know, I know what you like. <laughs>
And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Follow us on Twitter at Squawk CNBC and send us your thoughts, feedback. I think I mumble. People on Twitter are right. I'm a mumbler. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, hey, that's what this podcast is for. Subscribe to and share Squawk Pod. And we'll meet you back here tomorrow. We'll be right back.